0: Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study. Uh, coming to you from the Rick and Bubba Broadcast Plaza uh, in Teleport. Uh, I'm Rick Burgess, co-host of the Rick and Bubba Show and director of TheManChurch.com. If you're a first timer, somebody has sent this to you. somebody's encouraged you to be here. Uh, however, you have happened upon our little Wednesday Bible Study. We are thankful that you are here. We are here most every Wednesday. If I'm not on, if I'm not on vacation or I'm not uh, physically unable to do it, uh, then uh, we will be here. Uh, we, we have done a number of Bible studies. Uh, we're, we're approaching our eighth year of, of doing this Bible study. So thank you all for joining us. matter of fact, we may be at eight right now, because didn't we start like in the fall one year? I think uh, we may be at eight, eight years. But we're glad that you're here. If you want to find some of the stuff we've done in the past, some of the other series, you can go to BurgessMinistries.com, click on Listen, and you'll see the men's Bible study there, and you can find uh, uh, all sorts of series that we've done. We do books of the Bible Uh, We do commentaries or books that uh, people have written. Uh, So, um, you know, we do curriculums. We do a little bit of everything. Right now we're doing uh, expository study. uh, Verse by verse, we're walking through the book of of 1 Corinthians. Uh, Today we'll be in Chapter 6. So if you want to go ahead and find that, let me give you some updates on on what's going on with themanchurch.com. Themanchurch.com, we have three man churches uh, happening September 23rd, which if you're catching this, Live or on the day that it was done, uh, that'll be tomorrow night, Thursday, September the 23rd. Three different man churches are going on. You can uh, go see Helmsy in Opelika, Alabama. Uh, Michael Helms will be speaking uh, at First Baptist Church Opelika. They are in the second year of the men's discipleship strategy. They're going through our second 40-week curriculum, uh, which also features uh, services and uh, those services are called man churches. Some churches call them something else. You certainly can call them whatever you want to. Uh, but uh, Helmsley will be speaking at First Baptist Church Open Lock on Thursday. I'll be in Birmingham, Alabama, Lakeside Baptist Church. I'll be speaking there uh, Thursday night. Uh, and have, they're going to have steak, too. So if you want to get a ticket to that, you can. Uh, I've been on the road with the man church. I've eaten more steak in, in the last two months than I've eaten my entire life. Uh, but it's good. You know, if you go to a men's deal, if they have a meal, what's it going to be? Barbecue or steak, one or the other. And if it's steak, it's going to be steak, green beans, and a potato. Green beans must be really cheap. We eat those everywhere I go. Uh, so um, so also, uh, there's another one, Rich Wingo, uh, who's a part of our crew, those you know, great man of God. He'll be uh, doing a man church and presenting the message at Northside Baptist Church in Jasper, Alabama, and uh, they'll be uh, implementing the men's discipleship strategy. Uh, I will be Sunday night in Chipley, Florida, but I got word that Sunday night is sold out. Uh, they've, they've hit maximum what they can have there in Chipley. Uh, that is actually a men's event. Uh, it's not a man church, uh, but looking forward to seeing those in Chipley, Florida on Sunday night, the 26th, if you have your ticket for that. Uh, then, uh, you can find some other dates coming up in October. October 17th, I'll be at the Pine Belt Baptist Association in Petal, Mississippi, addressing that association. And then on 24th, I'll be in Mangum, uh, Louisiana. Uh, speaking at, uh, uh, the Ma- Mangum Baptist Church, and they're doing the men's discipleship strategy too. So all that can be found at, uh, burgessministries.com. Go there and click on events, and you can find everything. If you want to find a man church that features any speaker, doesn't have to just be me, uh, it could be any of our speakers, then go to themanchurch.com, and you can go and you can click right on events, uh, and then you can go see where any man church is being held. If we, if we have it, we have the information. It'll be there. And if we can help you implement a men's discipleship strategy, just go to themanchurch.com. We'll be more than happy to help you. All right, let's let's uh, let's open up in a word of prayer, and let's jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Uh, so many prayer requests. So uh, We're living in a volatile time. Uh, but, you know, we've had volatile times before. Uh, we'll have volatile times in, in the future. Uh, and part of the fallen creation is that volatile times Uh, are going to continue to reoccur until you give us a new heaven and a new earth. And we thank you for the grace that you're affording. We even thank you uh, for the grace of allowing us to suffer, uh, to break our ties to this world, to maybe force us and give us our best opportunity at redemption. Uh, But at the same time, Lord, you're also near to the brokenhearted. Uh, There's a lot of death. There's a lot of sickness. uh, And there's, uh, there's so many things going on. Uh, and, and I know that you're with each and every one of those. But we do we do cling to the hope that things are not out of control because ultimately they're under your control. Uh, but help us today to to focus on what we really need. And that's you. Uh, and, and when we want to find out everything we we need to know about you, uh, then the best place to look is, is what you've already said about yourself and what you've said to us through your holy word. Uh, so you be with us and you pierce our hearts and you refine us as we unpack it today. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. All right, so we know that the Apostle Paul has written this letter to the church at Corinth, uh, and we know the church at Corinth uh, was in a very, very dark, dark society. Uh everything it was the Vegas of its day, it was a sin city. Uh everything you could think of uh, that could be possibly done uh from a sinful standpoint, it was being done in Corinth. Uh and so one of the things that I think we could that I know I'm taking away from this study of these letters to Corinth, and this being the the one that we call the first letter. We do believe that there were more than even two, but these are the two that that made the canon. So, is that what Paul is trying to remind this church, and we're going to talk about a couple of topics today, and it's what God is trying to remind us. Now, this is a little bit different, because these these are letters written to a church. These are not letters written to lost people, and, and you need to understand that. Now, can lost people benefit from this? Of course. But ultimately, this is God, through the Apostle Paul, telling those that have claimed to be redeemed, those that claim to be members of his church, he's reminding us that the ones that have been redeemed by Jesus that now claim to be followers of Jesus, that we do not do the things, we don't do things the way the world does them. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. And you're going to see an indictment again today on a couple of issues. And these indictments are going, to, are going to be that the church is behaving in a way that is just the way the world will behave. And they're being called out saying that is not the way the church lives. We don't do things the way the world does things. And remember what we said, the great John Phillips uh, analogy, uh, the the church at Corinth was like a boat sitting in water. Nothing wrong with a boat sitting in water. It's designed to float. But if that boat starts letting the water in, which is the church letting the world in, then it begins to sink. And this is not about being sanctimonious or self-righteous or anything like that. It's about truly saying that Jesus changes the way people act. And and so, remember, you don't see an indictment in any of this about uh, lost people acting like lost people. When lost people act like lost people, they're actually being consistent. What Paul is saying, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is you claim to be the church, but you're behaving like lost people. And, and that, and this is going to be corrected, or Paul's calling for it to be corrected. So this is one that he's talking about in chapter 6. The first eight verses is Paul talking about lawsuits. I mean, he, he takes this on among the church, and let's read verses one through eight. Paul says, When one of you has a grievance against another, now that's within the church, okay? Does he dare to go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints. He's saying, so you've got a grievance with somebody. Instead of y'all working it out inside the church and working it out with each other, you're running off to the world. You're going to some judge that who knows uh, what the spiritual condition of this judge would be, or in, in our country, this jury would be. You're running off to another source when you ought to be working this out amongst yourselves because then it's the saints dealing with each other and you've got like-minded people that are supposed to believe the same things, and you, you're you rushing off to do this without even first trying to work it out within the church. He said, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Now, he's he's referring to that future time, he, he, the, the, the time is coming where we will sit in a position with Jesus, and we will judge the world. The redeemed will, will judge the unredeemed. And he's saying, so if we're the ones that are supposed to be given that responsibility, why are we running off to the world thinking that the world's going to have a better solution than we do? Not if you've been redeemed. They don't have a better solution than we do. So then he goes on. And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to, to try trivial cases? He said, well, if God's given you the responsibility and the power to judge the world in a future state, you can't handle these trivial disagreements among each other but without running off to to sue each other, running off to the judge. And he says this. He says, do you not know that we're to judge angels? That's also true. How much more then matters pertaining to this life? Meaning if you're going to be in a, in a place where you're going to be put in a position as a saint, as co-heirs with Christ, you will be judging the world. You'll be judging angels. This is the angels that, that went against God. You know, when they get their final judgment, we're going to be part of that. We're with Jesus. And he says, So you've got that responsibility who's someone who's redeemed, but you can't work out these trivial worldly matters. He says, He says, if if you think about it that way, it's absurd to go off to some judge. So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? Why are you leaving the church with a disagreement? Between one saint and another one, and the word saint here is not a sanctimonious statement. That's what the the members of the church are called. When you've been redeemed, that's what they call the saints. So he's saying so the the disciples of Jesus, the church of Jesus Christ, the church of God has has problems going on inside the church, and instead of working it out here, we're running off to a godless judge for him for him or her to handle it, and to be to be judged by the laws of a fallen world. And uh, because I think you're looking around right now us looking to God as our authority and dictating how we judge it as a country that's kind of going by the wayside that that's that's fading away more and more we're coming up with our own judgment uh, and we are not basing our judgments on God anymore so he says so if you're running off to these I mean w- look what could happen to you you think they're going to resolve it so he and look at this I love this next statement in verse five and I hope you have people In this in your life, he's saying this because he loves them. He says, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But 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 brother goes to law against brother and before an unbeliever to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. He said, you're really better off just to have something bad happen to you than to go off and try this because it's sin. See, everything in my life that that I've seen God change, and, and I guess this is a concept that shouldn't surprise me because Jesus comes in and says, what? Repent or perish. Rick, Jesus was always hanging out with sinners and doing what? Calling them to repentance. He met them where they were, but he didn't leave them there. He called them to repentance. I won't condemn you. I'm offering you redemption. You would almost think by some of the teaching now that Jesus just went and hung out with sinners and just started acting just like they did. That is not true. That's not biblical. He said, repent or perish. So I've noticed in my life, anything that is sin that I refuse to call sin, it still owns me. I've seen these things change in my life when I actually called them sin. Now, once I call it sin, so now that's a game changer. Uh, then then I repent of that sin, and you know what I start seeing? Jesus doing what he said he would do, he takes it away. I, that behavior is changed not by my legalistic point of view or my new self-control or my new power, it's changed by his power. And you know what he's saying is, well, you know what? This is still in there. You've never. You won't call it sin and repent of it. Until you call it sin and quit saying, well, I could do better or probably shouldn't have done that or I guess I could do it a different way. No, how about this? It's sin and I repent of it and I shouldn't be doing this. But you look inside churches today and just like he was talking about at Corinth and we just go off and sue each other and take stuff to court and start all these lawsuits against each other and you know what Paul said? That's sin. That's not the way we handle things. You don't go sue somebody else that's in the church. Now this is not talking about that we never go to judges for things that are not conflicts. And it, it doesn't mean that. I mean, there are certain things that you require legal standing. you got to do paperwork. you got to do contracts. That's not what this is talking about. Uh, I even have a buddy of mine that says, you know, great contracts, make good friends. You know what I mean? And, uh, you, know, just cause, you know, the worst thing you do sometimes is say, you know, we're buddies, so, you know, this deal we made, there's no need to do a contract on it. Well, a lot of times it's good to do a contract because it kind of makes sure everybody remembers what they've agreed to. So we're not talking about that. What he's talking about is you have a grievance against somebody and you run off to sue them and you run off to some judge trying to punish them or get your way when we should have worked it out within the church. And uh, you know what? We've had some things happen, even in this own Bible study, uh, where people got at odds a little bit. And you know what we did? We worked it out amongst ourselves. We didn't go running off to some. I had somebody come say hey, I got a grievance against somebody, and I said, "Okay, are y'all both believers?" Yeah. All right. Well, let's all get together and get the conference room over several weeks, and let's work it out. And we did instead. Of, but you know what he says? What the Corinth? He said, "I didn't. I didn't know this." Looking at some of the commentary from John Phillips and Warren Wearsby, uh, they said that Corinth was losing its testimony within the city because they were acting just like the city. The the lost knew of the open sin, which he's about to get here, starting in verse nine. They knew about the open sin that was going on within this church and they also knew of the lawsuits. Now I did not know this. The Greeks, especially the Athenians, were known for lawsuits. I mean, they would sue at the drop of a hat. They were constantly suing each other. And uh, and so here's why Paul says that's not the thing to do. And he's talking to a society that was riddled with there was a lawyer on every on, at every turn. And everybody was always suing everybody all the time. As a matter of fact, there was a joke one time uh, made about somebody saying that that looks like um, Athens. And the joke was the guy looked and says, "I don't think so. I don't see any lawsuits." So, so here are the reason why the Paul said don't do it. It's a poor testimony to the lost. Handle it inside the church. If you don't handle it inside the church, you're acting just like the world. They don't handle it. They run off and sue each other too. Uh, and 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 how about this even. The non-believing Jews, who 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 were still not not Messianic Jews, but non-believing Jews, even they handled things inside the temple. They did not take these things to the world. And so he's saying this is this this is a bad testimony to the rest of the world. Because let me tell you one thing that the the world loves to say about the church. I've looked at the church. I've looked at these people. I don't see any evidence of anything supernatural about them. They handle. They're as petty as I am. They sue each other just like we do. They divorce just like we do. They talk about each other just like we do. Uh, They cheat on stuff just like we do. They talk just like we do. They laugh at the same things we laugh at. And uh, so so why would would I give up a a Sunday morning to go to that? And see, Paul says, so first of all, it's a terrible testimony. Uh, He said, and the second thing, he said, this congregation, because he said, I say this to your shame, had failed to live up to its full position in Christ, why can't you settle your differences and you know what the, and see he said, and you 'll see later the Corinthians had said to Paul that they had all these spiritual gifts, and we 'll get into this later in this letter matter of fact they were kind of puffed up at about all the wonderful gifting they had in this church and Paul says, if y'all are so gifted and you 're going to judge angels and judge the world one day, how can you say you're gifted if you can 't even you solve these quibbles amongst each other, so you can't pull that off. I'm not impressed with you. And, and it, they 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 said they had these gifts, and Paul said, "If you have these gifts, why can't you solve these problems? Why why is this beyond your abilities?" And look, now again, we're not talking about you know friendly matters that require legal documentation. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about I have a grievance against each other, and 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 he said that that I am suing a member of this church. And what he's saying is, if you're a member of this church and you're going off and suing another member of this church um, and suing each other, what you're acting like is a lost person. That's how you're, you're, and here's what he's saying. You heard him at the end, this last part. He said, it'd be better for you to suffer some kind of wrong. It would be better that you ended up being defrauded than to do this. And what does he mean by that? This is big. This is a write downer if you're writing things. The apostle Paul said, it is better for you to suffer some kind of personal inconvenience or some kind of financial loss. It is better for you not to get your way than to lose your testimony. Even if you don't come out on the good end of it. He said, it, it would be, if you take that person off to a judge, even if you get the ruling from the judge, you've lost your testimony. And so what he's saying is it's better to lose the case than to lose your testimony. I I, I guess this was pretty important. So, and again, this is is church member against church member. This is not dealing with lost people. Uh, This is not legal documentation that sometimes is required. So let me be clear. If you're inside the church and you have been wronged by another member of the church, we are not to take them and sue them. That is not what we are called to do. That is sin. And it's acting just like the world. Because he said the church should be able to work this out. So now he leaves that, and so, so he says, so I don't, I, I see this going on. I don't like this. God doesn't like this. And then he talks about why. And then we're going to get into, now I want to warn you, if you're watching this right now, and I'm going to be delicate, okay, but the, the room here, these are grown men in here. But if you're watching this or you're listening to this with people that maybe have sensitive ears, we're about to dive into sexual sin. And Paul does not, he's going to use an analogy in here just to be sure we understand the severity of it. And some of it may be a little, uh, uh, probably not for children to hear. So I don't know if you've got this going in your house or something like that. I'm just giving you an FYI. Uh, but, you know, if they're old enough to talk about it, if they're old enough to have sex, and they need to be listening to it. Uh, but but that kind of be where I draw the line. All right, so here's what he says in verse 9. Or Do you not know, and now he's talking about what he just said about acting like the world, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He said the way you're living your life, this is very important because if you're living like the unrighteous, you've picked an example of people that are going to hell. Don't let them be your example. He says, do not be deceived. Setting up the next part he's going to talk about. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revelers, nor the swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, here's what we do when we see this list, because we're all flawed. We pick out part of this list that we don't struggle with, and that's all we ever talk about. Now, we ignore the other things that are on the list that we do struggle with. Have you ever noticed that? People are always very, very vocal about sins they don't struggle with. But they don't talk near as much about the ones they do. So remember, when when you see such, hey, there it is. There's homosexuality on there. I knew it. So let's talk about this. First of all, he says men... In this letter, but in Romans chapter 1, he he picks up that women are now beginning to be in lesbian affairs as well. Here he's talking about the men that were practicing homosexuality in the society. But he then goes in Romans chapter 1, by the way, if you're a male, this is kind of how you understand males in fallen states versus females. In Romans chapter 1, I find it interesting that when he takes on homosexuality, he says, and it's gotten so bad that now even the women are doing it. Meaning, you know, men are depraved. We expect them to go first. But now it's become so bad that even women are participating in same-sex same, uh, relationships now. But we take that and we pull that out. Now, let me tell you what it does mean. It does mean that homosexuality is a sin. That's what it does mean. However, it doesn't mean that homosexuality requires extra redemption, but these other things on here, they don't make God as mad. No, God. God does not like the fornicator. That's heterosexual. Doesn't like the sexually immoral. Period. That's those having. He's going to get real graphic about this in a minute. Anyone who has sex outside of marriage, whether whether it's whether it's man and woman or woman and woman or man and man, he hates it all. Matter of fact, he despises sex outside of marriage, and he's going to be very clear on that once he gets through here. And then, so so he says. But I, I also want you to know that if you're an idolater. You're not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. If you're somebody who abuses alcohol, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. If you're somebody who swindles people, if you get out some, you're somebody who parties and you're rowdy and you're a reveler and you're always causing trouble, all these attitudes will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, why why does this list include so many things? What he's saying is, no matter what it is, if in your life you're still living in deliberate perpetual sin, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Because you're showing that you haven't been redeemed. Why? Other scriptures will will support this throughout scripture. We've studied some of them. Because it's impossible for Jesus Christ to truly have redeemed you and you still live a life that is of perpetual, deliberate sin. You don't have a, a life of practicing sin anymore. You have a life of stumbling with sin, Romans chapter 7. The redeemed still struggle with sin as long as we have any of this flesh on us. But we do not continue to make a practice of sin. So he makes, so let me be clear. Homosexuality is a sin. But so is fornication. So is adultery. All sexual sin is sin. It all can be redeemed. But homosexuality is not a sexual sin that gets a pass. Okay? So neither one of those extremes are right. It's, it, it doesn't require more redemption, but it also doesn't require no redemption. Well, you know, hey, I was just born that way. Well, so was the fornicator. I was just born that way, so was the adulterer. I was just born that way, so was the idolater. I was just born that way, so was the swindler. I was just born that way, so was the reveler. I was just born that way, so was the drunk. See, but God didn't make us this way. Sin made us this way. So so what should I say? Well, you know, I just always had a desire for other women than my wife, so I guess I should just go with that. Because that's just the way God made me. No, see, God didn't make me that way, sin made me that way. What God said is, I'll redeem you from the sin no matter what it is. Now, does that mean that we all struggle with the same sins? In general, maybe. But no, some people struggle with some things. And uh, Look, I, I actually know, know people personally, uh, and, and I mean, heterosexual, full-grown man, he's never in his life struggled with porn. Never. He said, that just never was a problem for me. But I know a tremendous number of men who struggle with porn. But he did not But he struggled with something else. You know, so... So we are all prone to sin as long as we have sinful flesh. And what Paul is saying is you just don't keep living that way because the people who keep living that way are showing they really aren't redeemed. And I love this next line. Now here comes, I love love this, verse 11. And such were some of you. I love that. Rick, why do you love that? Because, man, it's just cool. I think I heard, I can't remember who it was teaching this. It might have been Ferrar. I can't remember. But he was talking about these verses. And he said, I just picture all these people sitting in the congregation while this letter is being read. Like, picture in this room, there's a bunch of guys in this room, that we would all be sitting there, and he's given this list. And he says, this is the way y'all used to be. And I know some of you personally, we would look at each other and go, and that's right. We sure were. That's the way you used to be. But what he's saying is, you can't claim that anymore. That's not who you are now. That's the way you once were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You know what he's saying is? That's the way you once were. You're not that way anymore. So you shouldn't be acting like you're still that way. And by the way, The homosexual is on this list, meaning that Jesus can redeem homosexuality. I know a number of those testimonies. And I'm hopeful for more. We got to stop this acting like that any of this is just, it just owns us so much. We're just so, this is just the way we are that we just can't give it up. Well, Jesus comes, so we will no longer be the way we are. We'll be the way he makes us. And that's just the way I am. I know that's the problem. Stop being the way you are. If I had just kept on with the way I was, look, I made made enough damage just being that way for the period of time I was. Well, I tell you what really, really stopped a lot of bad things is when I was redeemed and I stopped being the way I was. Because I was destroying my life and everybody else I came in contact with. And so you know what? You know what Paul says? Hey, Rick, this is the way you used to be. Yeah, I remember that one time when I did. Yeah, No, no, no. That's the way you used to be. You're not that way anymore. But you know what he's reminding you of? Don't ever forget what you redeemed. Don't ever stop appreciating. Don't ever start thinking there was something that you did for yourself. Because let me remind you of how you used to be. But you're not that way anymore. So stop acting like it. Then Paul is going to start unpacking. um, He's going to start unpacking. The freedom in Christ, something we've got to be very careful with. Because a lot of times people become what? Grace abusers. Well, I've been been saved. Aren't we saved uh, by grace through faith? Yes. Yes, we are. We are saved by grace through faith. But don't forget that through faith part. But yes, we are saved by grace. But remember Romans 6. The same Paul says, we have been freed from sin, but we have not been freed to sin. And you say, well, what about the gray areas? We're going to dive into some of that. Here's what Paul says about the gray areas. verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Well, look, there's some things in the the freedom provided by Christ that I'm still allowed to do, and it may not even be considered sin, but is it still the thing to do? Now, you'll see what one of the things was, and he's about to get into this real quick in 13, and y'all have heard my testimony on this. He said, and this is, underline this, because this is the key on uh, Brent Crowe wrote a great book, write this down, called Chasing Elephants. Is that what it was called? I think it was Chasing Elephants. Anyways, it's about these gray areas of faith. I mean, you just got a list from Paul that says no gray area here. But then you kind of get into the things of life, he's going to get into. How much food is okay? Where, where's that line when all of a sudden I'm in gluttony? Uh, so in this society, which is the next thing he says... In this society, believe it or not, food was a much bigger issue than even alcohol. Because people were constantly, there was what foods you should eat. The Jews say we shouldn't even eat certain things. There was a lot going on around food. Okay, so, so listen to this. He says, but I. this is what you need to underline. I'm going to underline it too, because in this Bible, it's not underlined. But let's underline this together. But I will not be enslaved by anything. Underline that. If you want to know whether something needs to be removed from your life that's a gray area, are you enslaved by it? I told you these things happened in my life. I was enslaved by food. My food consumption was sinful. Now, it took me a long time to admit that. Okay? And uh, unfortunately, I, I branded my fatness and, uh, and, and some really great marketing to the point that I'm known for fatness. But 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 see that probably wasn't best. But this, I'm having a hard time walking that one back. But <laughs> but but I will not be enslaved by anything. And I look at you right now. I look you guys in the eyes, and I look in this camera. I'm not enslaved by food anymore, I, because I called it sin. Now, do I still sometimes overeat and then come under conviction? I do, but I don't justify it anymore. I will say I should. I ate more than I should have. And look at what he says next. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. You know, we say this, why are you making such a big deal about food? Food ain't going to mean anything. Food's for you to eat when you're hungry. It's to be enjoyed, but don't make it bigger than that. Food's not going to stand there on the day of judgment with any standing. God is going to take this body that you're letting run you. He's going to take this body that you keep gorging and gorging and gorging. He's going to destroy it. You're going to get a perfect body. You're going to get a glorified body, which, by the way, only eats for fun, apparently. It doesn't need to. We're not going to be sitting there in our glorified bodies going, Man, I'm starving. We're going to be in our glorified bodies saying, Man, let's eat something over here at at, at, at the feast we got, and we're going to eat it just because it tastes good. And here's the thing I'm looking forward to. Right now, even the foods that I love, I'm eating fallen food with fallen taste buds. Can you imagine what food really tastes like? And it's perfection. Okay, so that'll be just something apparently, because you see in Scripture, we are going to have feasts that we'll enjoy, but the glorified body doesn't have to have food. He's saying this, this, this thing about food, this is just a fallen creation, fallen thing. Go ahead and enjoy you some food, have you some food, but don't be enslaved by it. Don't let it run you, he said, because the body is, is going to be destroyed, the one that you have, it's going to be replaced, and also this 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 being owned by food is going to be that's gonna go away. And then look at the next thing he says. And this is this is where it starts getting he's gonna get real graphic here. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Mm. So when you look at at this sexual immorality, this is some things we're going to find out as we go through here. The church at Corinth, they were having sex with anybody, anywhere, anytime. And they they didn't think it was any big deal. What is this concern about who you have sex with? It's just something to gratify ourselves. Who are we to do? Do you go and just have sex with whoever you want to? Premarital sex, nobody cared. Living together, nobody cared. Uh, Being promiscuous, nobody cared. What does that sound like? Oh, it sounds like the current state of our world now. The taboo of sexual immorality is completely gone from our society. There's no taboo with it. Nobody, nobody, I remember Adrian Rogers said, there was a time when certain sins kind of, they snuck down the back alleys in the darkness. He said, now they strut right down Main Street. There's no shame in it. You know, does anybody even remotely expect anybody to be sexually pure on their wedding day? Most in that, look, I'll be, I'm, there's some young people that are making this commitment. Again, praise, praise God for that. But let's be honest. How many weddings have you set at that you thought to yourself, I bet they got here the way they were supposed to? Not many. And if they didn't, you wouldn't care. And I'm not saying they can't be redeemed. Maybe they're like me and 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 they got saved in premarital counseling, you know, and this is they're redeemed as sexually pure as they've ever been. I'm not being judgmental. But what I'm saying is it certainly can be redeemed. But do you really sense that there's any taboo in our world anymore about having sex outside of marriage? But did you know in these scriptures we're going to find out it's a really big deal? It's a really big deal because sex was designed for a husband and a wife under the holy holiness. And that's one wife, you know, because it says in, in in Genesis and we talked about all the problems this multiple wife stuff caused for David. He said, I will now make for him the perfect helper. And he said, a man shall leave his family and shall cling to his wife. See, David wasn't supposed to have multiple wives, and and neither was Saul. He said he didn't say that a man will leave his family and cling to his wives, and, oh, this guy looks like he's lonely, so I think I'll give him five wives. You know what I mean? so, So what we're saying is inside the sanctity of marriage, it is one man, one woman, and it is for reproduction, and it is for the intimacy and the enjoyment of a husband and wife, period. That's it. And, and, and anything outside of that, God takes incredibly serious. And here's why. If you go outside marriage, and we're getting more and more articles talking about the damage that it does not to do things the way God said to do them. They can be redeemed. That's, that's the beauty of redemption. Okay? So this is not about, I didn't accomplish this, Rick, so should I give up? No. Redemption brings you right back to where you're supposed to be. You're made fully righteous. Okay? But... If you're making decisions right now about your life, you need to make the right ones. They said it may bring uh, sex outside of marriage. It might bring momentary excitement and enjoyment. It can't. The flesh can enjoy it. It can't. Let's, let's not act like it can't. He says, but it brings no enrichment. Nothing. It's, just, it, it's like you saying, I, I, I really enjoyed something today, but it's gone. It's, there's no enrichment. There's no connection. He, it, this was an analogy that, um, that, that one of the uh, commentaries used. It's like a man robbing a bank. I mean, he did get something, but it's not his. And one day he'll pay for it. Yeah, I mean, he robbed the bank. He got away with it. But one day, it'll catch up to him. And I'm going to tell you something. When you sit there and think about, it's for the males who are watching this, and for females, you too. If you really look at this premarital sex thing, and think to yourself, I'm about to take away the purity of somebody else's wife. See, you won't be near as cavalier with it. Or I'm about to take away the purity of somebody's husband. Now, This is before anybody's married, but if you don't end up marrying this person, you've just robbed somebody of having a spouse that could come to them sexually pure, and you went in and took it, and it wasn't yours. It wasn't yours. God had that designed for their spouse. It wasn't designed for you. And you've defiled them, and really, you have had sex with somebody else's wife, somebody else's husband. And, And that's why God wants this to be taken extremely serious. And Paul goes on to tell us why. He said, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. It is meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised Uh, The Lord Jesus, and He will also raise us up by His power. This body, it belongs to God. What did Paul tell us in in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2? That we are to be what? Living sacrifices. That our bodies are living sacrifices to the Lord. And He said, He will, He will, this body will die, and He will raise it up with the power of the Lord. And this, our bodies are designed, they are really not designed for self-gratification. We think they are because we play to our fallen state. But when your spirit's been awakened and you start feeding that spirit, you realize our bodies are not designed for self-gratification. They're designed to glorify God as living sacrifices. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Now he's talking to the redeemed again. Now here comes that graphic analogy that I warned you about. Shall I then take the members of Christ... And make them members of a prostitute? And then the next line is never. Have you ever thought about when you take, if you're redeemed, whatever you do with your body, you're now taking Jesus into that situation? And Paul very graphically says, well, here's the problem with sexual immorality. He says a lot of sin, he's going to say this in a minute, occurs outside the body. But sexual sin, it's taking your body and joining it to someone else's body. And you're taking Jesus, and you're blaspheming him, and you're, you're taking Jesus, and he's using the analogy of the men there that took prostitutes, but anybody that's not your wife, you're taking Jesus, and you're taking him into this sexual relationship that is sinful and debauchery. You'd think a little different if you thought about you were taking Jesus into this. You're joining Jesus to a prostitute. Doesn't I mean, that, that, that make you jump back a little bit? <clears throat> And he says, here's why. Do you not know that he who is joined, and you can tell what that word means, joined, there in in the Greek, your body is being joined to a prostitute, and your body becomes one with her. See, that's the intimacy of the sexual relationship that God approved. It, it, guys, look, it's not that difficult. You don't have to be a master theologian or biologist to s- simply understand how God made a man's body and how he made a woman's body, it looks pretty straightforward. Okay? And see, the women are designed to receive. And what he's saying is what you're going to do is you're going to join yourself to a woman's body that is not your wife. And when you do that, there's an intimacy and there's a connection that takes place that you shouldn't be tampering with. That should be for your wife and your wife alone. And for her, it should be with her husband and her husband alone. Y'all are acting like that this is so flippant and it's no big deal. But let me tell you, when you think the way God designed a man and a woman and the way he designed marriage and the way he designed intimacy, you're taking something extremely powerful and you're playing games with it. You know what he's saying? Sexual sin really goes to another level. And we just treat it like it's no big deal. Make jokes about it. I mean, we, we do, just, just like it's nothing. And Paul is clarifying that it is. For it is written, the two will become one flesh. Where was that? Creation of, of, of marriage. It, it's referenced by Jesus. Meaning that, the, that this is a, a union that is supposed to be holy. And when you look at what the writer of Hebrews says, and, and writer of Hebrews in chapter 13, I think it's chapter 13, when he said, let marriage be held in a place of honor by everyone, and may the marriage bed never be defiled. And you know what he says after that? Because God will judge the sexually immoral. God will judge the adulterer. You know why? Because that person has violated what he calls holy. And you know what he's saying is, don't mess with marriage. Don't mess with people's intimacy and take this extremely serious. He says, and he says, the reason why my analogy does not is not exaggerated, look at verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. You join yourself to the Lord, and then you take the Lord, and you join him with a prostitute, or any person that, that would not be your wife, or for women, not be your husband. He says, you become one spirit with him. Jesus Christ now abides in your body. So look at this word, underline this in 18, flee, underline it. Flee from sexual immorality. Why? Because it's a different deal. Rick, are you saying there's severities of different severities of sin? I'm not saying that there's sins that require extra redemption. I've already covered that. But guys, let's not be idiots, okay? If I go over to your to to your house, okay? And I and and I'm looking over there and I say, you know what? He's got an extra bag of M&Ms over here, don't really belong to me. Or maybe I walk in there and it's something more than that. Maybe I look over there and I see something nice of yours that I want. Let's say I leave your house with one of your pocket knives. I look over, there, hey man, that pocket knife is nice. And hey, he's got what twenty pocket knives. And I come into your house and I walk out of your house and I took a pocket knife. That's sin, because I stole it. And you say, well, you know, every sin's the same. No, it's not. What if I came into your house and took your wife, and I took her to the bed, and I stole that? You think that's the same thing? Now, it doesn't require extra redemption than stealing the knife, but I assure you the damage I just did to you is much more severe. So, so that's what he's saying don't play games with this. And he's saying that the attraction of sexual sin is so strong, he's not saying, get a bunch of self-control and just keep throwing yourself in bad situations. I've said this to all my kids, and I said it to myself. If your game plan about sexual purity is, let's all get together and hang out and let's see what happens, I said, ain't one of you going to arrive sexually pure on your wedding day, I can assure you. If you don't have a game plan, if you had not already made a decision that I will not put myself in these situations. If you haven't done that, you will not make it. Let me tell you how you avoid sexual sin. You turn and run. You turn and run. I'm telling you, even with our eyes, guys, I've gotten to the point that if I'm coming to a situation where a woman has decided that she's not going to clothe herself appropriately and she doesn't feel a call to that, I'm not going to sit there and go, well, I think I'll be fine. I'm not going to become the sin daredevil. You know, say, I'm sure I'll be fine. I'm, I'm sure I can go in here and not look at you know the three-quarters of her body that she's revealed to all of us. You know what I do? I just go the other way. I've literally not gone into places if I saw a woman walk in who is not dressed appropriately that I think would be problematic for me. I just leave. Then I know it won't be problematic. And so what he's saying is you better flee from sexual immorality. And he says, why? Every other sin, like stealing your pocket knife, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexual. But the sexual immoral person sins against his own body, and against the body of the person that you join yourself to. See that that is big. Well, all sins are the same. That's really not. It's all in need of redemption. That's true, but it's not the same. And you say, and I'll even tell you this: It doesn't have to be sexual sin to see this. What Jesus says in Matthew eleven, he says in Matthew eleven, he's talking to these three cities that he did 90% of his miracles in, and he revealed himself to them over and over and over and over. It was the main place of his ministry. And, And he says to these three cities, you can read it for yourself, Matthew 11, we don't have time today, woe to these cities. And he calls them the unrepented cities. He says, if Sodom, Gomorrah, Sidon, and Tyre, all destroyed by God because of their wickedness, if they had seen me, if they had seen the things that God allowed you to see, he, you, they would have repented in ashes and dust, but you have seen it, and you have rejected me, and how much worse will it be for you on the day of judgment than for Sodom, because you knew better. You didn't get the shot they got. Now, they, 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 gave, they got a shot to repent, but they didn't see me. You've sat here and watched me heal person after person. You've seen me preach over and over again. You've seen me prove to you over and over again that I am who I say I am. By the way, Bible Belt people who are watching this, and you've heard the gospel, and you've heard me over and over and over and over and over and over, and you still remain unrepentant. And I'm going to tell you what, thats that, that will be worse on the Day of Judgment than the streetwalker in Las Vegas that may have heard about me two times. You know what, because you know what, she, if she dies in her sin, if you don't get to her and she doesn't respond, she'll go to hell. But you know what, she didn't get the shot you did. So it's going to be worse on you on the Day of Judgment, because why? You should have known better. And so, so yes, we see Scripture saying there are things that we do that on earth have stronger repercussions than other things. All need redemption, but the impact, that, the damage they do on earth, there, there are a lot of differences. And sexual sin is one of the most damaging because of its effect to the body, and like he said, it's not outside the body, and we need to take it extremely serious. Why? Because Scripture does. Because Scripture does. Do you know of anybody? I mean, honestly, have you ever met anybody that was redeemed that was not that was not sexually pure that says, "You know what? I never really felt bad about that. I think that was. I think what I did was right. I'm glad that I violated my sexual purity." Uh, before I ended up getting married. I, man, I'm really glad I did that. You know any redeemed person that says that? Any? I'm certainly not going to say that. Have I been redeemed? Yes. Is my marriage holy? Yes. But do I wish on earth I had done things differently on this topic? Yes. Because there are certain things that have happened because of that that I can't change here on earth. So it is a big deal. So it needs to be treated as a big deal. And he goes on to say why again. He says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have gotten from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Now underline, underline that, 20. For you were bought with a price, and look what he says next. So glorify God in your body. Well, you know, I, Rick, I can, you, know, you hear this a lot. Whether it, I can do whatever I want to do with my body. No, you really can't. Not if you're redeemed. Why? Because Jesus bought it on the cross. And let me tell you something. It was quite the invoice. It was quite the invoice. And, for, and he's saying, so your response to Jesus buying your body and delivering it out of hell is to turn around and join it in sexual immorality? That's your thank you back to God? Well, what I do is my own business. No, it's not. Not if you're redeemed. It's God's business. So what he said is since he bought it, then then and he's already done something you couldn't do, Rick. He bought your redemption. He saved you by grace through your faith, leaving faith in self and, and putting your faith on him, repenting of your sin. He has taken this body that... As John, as John told us that Jesus said in John 15, that if you don't connect it to Jesus right now and you don't abide in Jesus, then you're going to be a withered branch and all you're going to be good for is fire. But when I joined it to Jesus, now I've, I'm redeemed. Now I won't go to the fire. So then I turn around with my body and say, well, I don't see any need to glorify you with this. Can can. I love in the Calvary Road by Roy Hessian. We did a Bible study on that years ago. But if you can find that book, I'd read it every year. Just a little tiny book, and it's called Calvary Road. And he talks about how if you want to take sin, it's talking about personal revival that never ends. And he says the thing that always ends revival within the church, within a society, or within your own personal life is sin. Sin always ends it. That's what always stops revival. So he says that he 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 thinks about this image of the cross, and he knows that Jesus isn't there, he knows Jesus is back where he's supposed to be, but he says when i'm when I'm thinking about my sin, I literally picture myself in that sin looking up and and seeing him on that cross and 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 thinking you know because Paul tells us in scripture that when we continue to sin, not struggle with sin, but when we continue to sin deliberately perpetually. He said, it's like you take Jesus and crucify him all over again. It's like you just take redemption and just say, "Ah, thank you for saving my body from hell, but don't expect me to be self-controlled. Don't don't expect me to glorify you. But here's Paul saying, you were bought with a price. You don't belong to you. You belong to Jesus. So be very careful where you take Jesus' body that he bought. Be very careful what you do to it. Be careful what you do with it because it's all these other sins happen outside the body. But the sexual sins happen to the body and to the body of the other person. And this was something that was going on in, uh, in Scripture. And um, it, it, I, I love when he, he's saying that, um, that, that the body, after it's been bought, is not for fornication. He said, "When the body's redeemed, it belongs to the Lord. It will be raised, and so we don't join Christ in this body that He's bought to sin." And and I guess the takeaway from today is, I hope, is that um, sin always matters. Uh, it, it's it's uh, it's not something that um, uh, is legalistic at all. Uh, it's actually just remembering what happened to us and being grateful for our redemption. And it's telling you that Scripture, unlike the society that Paul's writing to and unlike the society that we live in now, that Scripture actually takes us being flippant about lawsuits, being flippant about sexual immorality. And what he's saying is, just because the world doesn't think it's a big deal, don't you assume that God does it. Just because... The culture doesn't make a big deal about it. doesn't mean God stopped making a big deal about it. And so how do we not get caught up in the cultural view of this? We remember the scriptural view of it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity to jump into your word today. Um, thank you for the, the redemption that you have, um, uh, have given us. It's not something that we could earn. But you have made it very clear that you're so powerful. When we are redeemed, you change things. And, and, Lord, I hope today that, uh, that 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 there was good news, meaning no matter what mistakes we've made, whether that be sexually or with lawsuits or whatever, it doesn't mean that we can't be forgiven. It just means that it also doesn't get a pass, that it does need to be repented of, and we don't just need to continue to do it, uh, that you offer sexual purity to anyone who wants to be redeemed. In your spiritual realm, we can be considered as pure, as the day uh, that, uh, uh, that we were brought into this world as far as our sexuality is concerned. There is no sexual sin that you can't deliver us from. And I pray, Lord, that we remember that. It may be difficult for the flesh, but it is not difficult for the spirit. And, Lord, I pray that we continue to feed the spirit, and you will remove these desires from us that are not pleasing to you. And, Lord God Almighty, please forgive us for the, the times that we've taken your body and we have sinned with it, and we forget that you abide in us. May we never forget that, and may that be used as a way to convict us and correct us when we need it. In your holy name we pray, amen. Thanks for being with us. If you need me, Rick at rickandbubba.com. i be glad to help you.